Hello and welcome to the Bossit Podcast with Mark Edwards and Michael Humblet. This podcast is released every week and is an over-the-shoulder look of a frank and candid discussion between two experienced software executives, providing you with useful tips, techniques, and the latest concepts to help you grow your software business in the fast-paced digital age. So let's get into it. Here is Mark Edwards and Michael Humblet. So this is Bossit Podcast, an over-the-shoulder look uh, between Michael Humblet and myself, Mark Edwards. Michael, hopefully you can hear me and um, we can hear you well. How's reception at your end? I have a bit of an echo in the background, but I'm in an office with a customer. That's how it goes, Mark. Yeah. We keep, keep working, keep pushing uh, the boundaries, and uh, I'm happy to speak to you again. And if I can kick in a door... Because I just came out of a meeting and this is something really typical that happens. And I'm sure you had the same is, um, you have this really good high end quality sales guy. It's a guy this time. Yes. And he did, it took him a while to get to a prospect. He just done the prospect meeting and in, in his mind, he's done. So he got the endorphins of a good meeting. It's been tough to get there. He had a good meeting uh -huh. and then I asked him, said, so what, what's the conclusion? I, I need to send them a quote. Okay. Did you send them a quote? No, no, not yet. I didn't have time. Okay. How long ago was the meeting? One week. I said, man, you cannot do this. When somebody had, when you get their attention, they're excited. You need to get that quote over there within 24 hours. So that really is fresh, fresh in your mind. You've literally just come out yeah. from a meeting. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, yeah. And I, very responsive. And I, I see this behavior everywhere. And it's, it's a yes. very classic behavior. It's because it's been tough to get to the meeting and it's been a lot of work. So once they have the meeting and the endorphins, like I just mentioned, they're happy. And in their mind, they're done. But it's not done until the bloody quote is at the customer. So yes. here is a trick, Mark. Here is a trick. Yeah. The trick is it's always hard. I mean, the reason why they don't start on the quote, it's because... The customer probably wants something custom and it's a lot of work and you need to digest and you need to process. The trick is find somebody else to start with it. Find an inside sales, find a sales operation, somebody else that can already send you a quote that's done for 50, 60% because it's 10 times faster to finish something and to tune something than to start from scratch. Oh, I see. You, 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 when you were saying somebody else within the organization, you weren't... Or were you? Were you suggesting that maybe when it comes to sending a quotation out, there's there's somebody else within the business, not the salesperson, who's got that uh, responsibility? Or, or are you saying both? Let me uh, let me rephrase it a bit. Um, yes. What I mean is that I think that the salesperson is fundamentally responsible for the account, meaning yes. he or she needs to send the quote, get the price, validate all of that. Right. So the person needs to know what's in the quote. Uh, that's one, two, it, but you making quotes can be hard and difficult. So I want somebody else in the organization, let's say on a lower salary, which is a more administrative uh, task because it's just a process thing yes. that can already start 
filling in the gaps and already producing a document where the sales just needs to check some numbers. I used to, I used to work at a company called Kofax. You do know them, yes, Mark. Yes, definitely. And I used to have these uh, five, six sales guys running around and I had pre-sales and then it was always hard because they had a very long, complex price list. So what I did at a certain stage is I hired a, a lady in this case. I hired the lady and her only job was to do two things. One, she needed to follow up on everything that's maintenance. And two, I wanted her to help to start preparing those quotes so I didn't lose momentum. And that one single lady, she did 1.2 million euro in a year. I mean, 75% was maintenance, which is, uh, I mean, cost of acquisition, all of that. It's fantastic in a margin point of view. But also she sped up all the other projects. And it actually, it wasn't expensive. It's the salespeople that are expensive. So you want to make sure that they keep momentum, they keep accelerating, and you can push the button on the pressure, but not on the operational side. Do you think that um, this is also a question about the personality types that you have maybe in a, in a sales role? <laughs> well, And they're where their leanings are, because exactly. they're probably they're more, they're, more, they're more leaning towards let's go and have a meeting, let's go and have a conversation with somebody than they are, let yeah. me sit behind my office all day and put together proposals. Yeah. yeah, You you hit the nail because who has this behavior? Now comes the interesting part. For me, typically, it's like a typical hunter profile that's extremely social, really good in networking, yes. that wants to yeah. be out and wants to talk. They just don't like the structure. They just, and they tell me, Michael, I never fill in CRM. And, and you're right, you don't need CRM to sell but you need CRM to scale, yes. to grow. So I'm, so what I do is I would do something else, actually. I, 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 I stopped fighting with these people because I was fighting for 18 years with this type of sales role. They're really good. They can bring you a lot of money, but they're so hard to catch. So the thing I do now is I say, okay, listen to me. So you don't want to do this. You don't want to do that. Okay, I can live with it on one single condition. If I free up that administration time, you always need to do a certain percentage, right? I'm going to free up more of your time, but I want you to have one to two more meetings per week because I freed up your time. Yes. So I make it a trade. You're and then in the, beginning, they say, yeah, yeah. in the beginning, they say, yeah, 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 they do it. And then after four or five weeks, they kind of forget it. And then I just pull the plug for a while. And then I let them struggle for two, three weeks. It, these personalities need to feel the pain. If they feel the pain, I put it back. And then it works really well. But they will challenge you. It's, it's just their nature. Yes, that, I, think, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, I mean, you also mentioned there about CRM, which is another pet frustration for me. Because <laughs> I, I speak to so many organizations. One of the, one of the questions that, that I'm looking for, probably at a sort of a, once we're actually engaged with an organization, is, is around the systems and processes on the sales side. Because you'd be amazed at how many organizations I see that they're vulnerable because they're salespeople. If they walk out the door, they walk out with the relationship or they exactly. walk out with all of the knowledge. But there is a lot of frustration around CRM. And I think in, in many respects, I, and I've experienced this myself within Boss Equity, uh, I think we have had over the years seven, eight different CRM systems. Yeah. None of them have been that uh, advantageous to us in some, in some respects. Some, some have just been very costly and, and have wasted time. And I think there is a change happening 
that um, CRM is becoming a marketing CRM. It's becoming more of a technology backbone. But I think the key thing in the respect when you're talking about salespeople is salespeople have always tended to look at CRM as an administration um, task that doesn't really provide them with any benefit. And unless, unless the CRM. So my biggest comment to that is, I agree. I mean, I, there are about two thousand CRM systems in the world at this at this moment, and I see a lot of them. And I, I have the CEOs of CRM systems in my in my sales acceleration show from time to time, so we yes. talk about it. Yeah. I I fundamentally believe that a CRM needs to work for you. So that's problem number one. Yes. Problem number two you need to fix is that most CRMs are seller oriented while they should be buyer process oriented because you know a buyer does different things than we as a company do. What do do you mean by that? Explain that to me. So the the way people buy changed dramatically over the years. And uh, we all know that and there is a statistic that 57% of the buyer already knows what he wants before he talks to you. Right. So, so what happens is between that, if you look at the steps very simplistically, there is an awareness phase where somebody thinks I have a problem. Then you get to an educational phase where you think, uh, you're going to ask people, uh, how to do it. You're going to search online. You're going to go to YouTube and then you make a selection, the selection stage, and then you basically roll it out. Now, what has changed over the years is that people go. It's not a linear process. They go from education to selection, back to education to selection. And because they don't like stuff, they change. It's easy to change. And they keep ping-ponging there. And the big magical line is sitting there saying that if they're in the educational phase, you should not sell. If you go across to the selection phase, you give the buying signals, you should sell. Now, most CRMs are not built like that. They are very linear. They are very sequential. While you need a CRM that actually can handle this back and forth. And yes. that is one of the things that, that you don't see a lot. And two, one of the things that I really like, and I'll give you an example. There are some CRMs doing this. That is, imagine I send out an email. So I make my prospect list. This is my wish list, yeah? zero value. This is my wish list. So if guys put in a value there, you have a problem, right? That's, that's another story. Yeah. So I have my wish list. I start phoning, mailing. I start reaching out. At a certain stage, one of these prospects comes back. So qualified deal. Then I send at a certain stage, I send a quote or I send an amount. Now, some of these CRM systems, they want, they keep track of these emails and calls. They, they record the calls. They know if the other side has opened, if it has been forward. So they keep all the analytics. And at a certain stage, you send a quote. So the CRM system knows the value. Imagine the person suddenly out of nowhere mails. Typically, sales, what do they do is they have their day. They're running around. When this email comes, they get this, I call it passive failure anxiety of, I don't know how you translate that, where you like, yeah, I'm not going to answer now. I'm not going to open it immediately because it might be bad news. I, I know a lot of salespeople. <laughs> oh, I happen, see. Right? Yes. So you're kind of, yes. so what does this CRM do? It knows you, it's a hot prospect. It knows you've sent a big quote. So what's going to happen is the email is going to come in. He's going to take over your inbox. He's going to empty it. And he's just going to have that one email sitting there. I've seen a CRM do that. Like it prioritizes the inbox of your sales guys. I can tell you there is no escape to that. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. So this kind of technology is out there. It exists. It is. And funnily enough, it's not expensive. But again, and that is where when you implement this, this stuff, it sounds cool, but it has a lot of dramatic consequences if you do it wrong. So you really need to know 
the buying process. And that's where it starts. Right? You need to define that and you need to do it properly. And that I think that's where a lot of frustration you have come from. I think you, in some of the CRMs you've had, you're like two, three steps ahead of the system. And that's not good. That's why you no. don't like it after a while. It, yeah. it should be in front of you. It should be smarter than you. Yes, I, I think, um, you know, you're talking about the buyer's journey. And I, yep. I've experienced being a buyer where I can tell that the salesman's under pressure. He's being monitored or he's needing to reach his target and he's pushing you through that process yeah. faster than you than you, you want to go. And probably you need to go. Yeah. And and, and I, I'm looking as a buyer who genuinely is, I'm looking to make a decision, but his anxiety or that pressure is pushing me away. Mark, the classic one, you must have gotten emails that say, hey, Mark, I would really want to close this deal because I'm low on my target. Yes. It's yes, a classic one. Yes. If I see that from it's a coming sales towards guy, the end I, of the quarter. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I hate that. I said, you just yeah. devaluated your offer because you gave me power. You yeah. should never give me power. Because I will take it. Well, there's a there's a there's a very well known um, software company, and I won't mention their name, but you'll probably guess who it who it is. Um, who it's known by the reseller channel that coming towards the end of the quarter, they're typically the salespeople are going to get on the phone and they're going to be talking to the reseller channel looking for deals, and they will offer a discount. And the resellers, what they tend to do is they delay their orders until it comes towards the end of the quarter yeah. because more often than not, they can get a big discount. They're actually harming themselves in doing that. Exactly. And it's behavior that they've run for years. Exactly. I was a, a few weeks ago in a, in a, in a, in a SaaS company selling uh, software and uh, I can't give too much detail because they will know who they are. And I suddenly, I was talking to the sales guys and they were, laughing and joking and they were saying oh end of quarter's coming oh yeah there's always going to be some extra da, da. and they were sandbagging the deals like crazy yes if i feel that if i smell that that means that the company is actually rewarding them in the wrong way it is it's creating the the wrong behavior yeah that's right they're, re they're creating the wrong reward that creates the wrong type of behavior yep. both from their sales staff and probably from their customer and their resellers yeah and and it it sounds obvious, but it it happens. <laughs> you, know, yeah. you would say it's common sense. Let you know that that's not happening, but it does. I've seen it time and time again. Yeah, and it it's easier because VP of sales gets under pressure. Let's do a quick action. Let's do something, and suddenly we see the impact of there are some more deals. So it's working. So it's like a loop. It enforces itself. What, one of the other things that you mentioned was about endorphins, and yeah. um, I interpret that in my own way. We used to have this phrase about, the, yeah, they've got their happy goggles on, the salespeople. And, and the test of it was, when was the last time you had a bad meeting? Because every meeting that they have, they come out, that was a great meeting. And the, you start to ask the question, why was it a good meeting? Do you, have yeah. you experienced that a lot? How do you handle that? Yeah. Yeah. And, and the, the other thing that you have is you have that exactly what you just said. And the other one is if you do forecast, you always have this profile of people that actually have a really shitty pipeline. But when you talk to them, the two days before the meeting, all this fantastic, amazing stuff happened. Yes. That's another one, right? That's, that's, that's the same profile yeah. of yes. the good meeting. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Yeah. And that is why, Mark, you should split up your sales process. 
have different people doing different parts of the sales process with a handover. And now comes an interesting trick that I recently, I mean, I knew it, but I've never seen it live. So this company, what they've done is they sell, a, it's not an expensive, but it's a software, it's a SaaS. So what they do is they have somebody doing the prospecting. They have somebody that does then the first call or the first demo, and then it goes over to the sales guy. So they have like two, three steps in there. And what they do is they explain to the potential customer the structure of what's going to happen. So they're going to say, hey, uh, uh, thank you for calling. Uh, today we're going to discuss, da, 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 and then they do the to do the speech, 20 minutes, it's very short and sweet, 20 minutes, and they say, okay, next steps are ta-ta-ta-ta. Then they go to the next step, a customer a few days later gets called. Last time we discussed, and they kind of keep repeating that structure. And what I've seen is that structure gives or creates peace of mind for companies because you feel like they know what they're doing, they have a framework or a blueprint or whatever you want to call it, and I calm down. And that's one of the biggest mistakes that startups and scale-ups make towards large companies. They are chaotic by nature, and that's why they go fast. But they need to give this structure as a peace of mind to the large companies too, because you want to, you want to, it creates trust. Yes, yes. That structure creating trust in, in the process, that makes a lot of sense. I can understand that. Yeah, absolutely. So when you sell, I mean, look at to what you do. You do... M&A at, at the SSU sells software companies. I mean, it's all about trust and structure, I think. Yes, and, and I think uh, in the early days, we didn't have that framework and the structure. And although there were organizations that knew us and you build up a relationship with them over time and they knew that we were, you know, we specialized in this area, when we actually came to putting a deal together, I think we had to work harder because we didn't have the framework that we had now. Yeah. But there are many other benefits for about having a framework, and I'm probably we could have several podcasts on on just that one subject. One one thing I wanted to um, come back to you on because I think I'd mentioned on on one of our previous um, talks about a company that I was working with, um, and this has been ongoing for quite a few months. And I thought it'd be quite interesting to sort of reflect back and to give you an update on where we were. And you had met the company and you'd had a presentation from the business. And I think we all were agreed that it was very difficult to understand what they actually did. Mm -hmm. Lots and lots of information, detailed information in their very presentation. Very technical feature. Oh, very technical, yes. They, they actually, it's a, good, it's, a good, it's a company that's operating in a hot area of the sector, which is one of the things that we're always looking for, is you know being able to make an assessment on the market the software sector market and there are subsectors within that what's hot what's not so they were in an area and very much potentially moving towards a very hot area but when you sat in front of them and they presented to you first of all there were lots of different variations on the presentation but it was really hard to understand and and it was it wasn't it wasn't a pleasant experience sitting there and listening you know there wasn't there wasn't a story there wasn't a controlled pitch so we've been working with them and this is this is this is right at the essence i think for so many companies when they when they need to really make a more powerful organization we we always talking about increasing the equity value this section about competitive space so many companies get it wrong and it's it's hard it's really hard 
And it's, it's about a number of different elements that need to come together to get it right. It, it is about being able to pitch your business, but to first of all, understand who you are, what you do and what you do best and to be able to put that into a story that makes sense. And I say a story deliberately because stories are the best way to communicate. That's something that's it's, it's bred into us. You know what I think, Mark, I, I fully agree. I, I, by the way, I do the same when I look at sales process. I always go to the basic and I said, you need to fix your story first and all the rest will solve itself later on. You'll see it's a process thing. Yes. But isn't it, I think the hardest part for most companies I meet and the, the same with the one we met, it's, it's choices. They can't choose. They want to, they want to be sure they hit every nail out there. Yes. So they're going to say everything they have and it becomes a mess. Yes. And they've also got a lot of information in their head. They're intelligent people, probably got good memories, and it tends to all come out onto the table when they meet somebody. And that doesn't that doesn't help. You you, you just you just overload your audience. Yeah. I think I think some you get some good examples. I don't know if you're a fan of TED Talks. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Love and them. if you look at the top rated TED Talks predominantly, what is it? And I'm I'm always looking for the common denominators. What it's, is it that makes yeah. that TED Talk more attractive than this TED Talk? It's simple, straightforward, funny, by the way, but it's yes. a real story with emotion, if you think about it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, and I think it, you know, it needs to be genuine. The person, you, you need to believe in that person. They need to perhaps tell a, to give a little bit away about themselves, you know, like, mm-hmm. probably a little bit like the discussions that we have. I mean, I found out that you have chickens in your office. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> they're gone now. They're gone. Yeah. Now. Please give me that. It's going to happen once, Mark. It's never going to happen again. It adds carriage, doesn't it? I mean, it's a little bit weird, but <laughs> but it tells me a little bit about you. And I think also you, you're exposing yourself a little bit, not <laughs> not physically exposing yourself, but you you need to reveal a little bit more about yourself. But I think at the heart of it is a story. It's a yeah. story that at the beginning you've got a good opening and it attracts their attention. It grabs people's attention and, pe- and it can flow. Because the other thing is a story is memorable. There's, you know, there's no other way of, 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 of getting people to retain information. How often have you had meetings where you've had somebody just throw facts at you? Yeah, and then if, you were, if you were trying to recall that and repeat that the next day, how much will we actually remember? It's a fraction, and then a, a week later, you probably it's 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 a, it's a it's minute the amount of information you remember. You might remember the fact that he had a bad tie on or something, you know, but the information will have gone. But if you tell a story, we've all got stories in our head that were probably told to us when when we were very very small at school and be preschool age that we can still tell to our children. Absolutely, the the thing that I'm always explaining in in my lessons and when I help companies and I I actually spend a lot of time on it it's I call it the one killer slide the one image that's so clear that within three seconds you understand the whole value I'm really glad you mentioned that because it it sort of brings me back to what I was saying about this company is that we've progressed things we've put together the narrative we've got their marketing tagline we've got the key sales messages and this has been put into a PowerPoint presentation and I'm always a little bit concerned because if you've got if you've got a group of people and that isn't their strength 
even if you've got a fantastic PowerPoint presentation, they do tend to want to dabble. <laughs> and you can have something that's it's a really nice finished piece of art almost and somebody they all want to put their fingerprints on it and mess it up so i i really was pleased with the results so i send it across to them and i waited for a few hours and i thought oh no you know I'm gonna no, they're this. gonna hate it <laughs> slide 10 we want to put all of these points in can you reduce the size of the font yeah. i don't like that i don't like that picture you know, no reason why. I just don't like that bit, all that sort of thing. Typically, it's just they want to cram it with more and more information. I got mm -hmm. I got two emails back, one from the shareholder, one from the managing director. I love it. Cool. And yeah. they, I want to take this slide because I'm I'm going to some meetings in the next few days, and these particular slides I want to take now. It wasn't yeah, even draft version, oh. so it 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 was it was a happy ending to my story, Michael. And that's the whole point of what I'm saying to here, is you know. It's a journey that you have to go through, and I think if you get it right, it makes so much difference. You know, I I would be prepared to sit and listen to their new story that they've got. Yeah. It's interesting and it makes sense, and most of all, it it brings the battle. You know, you're always going to be in, in competition, but it brings the battle to the battleground where you are most likely to win. That's, that's one of the key concepts that I always bear in mind when we're doing this is you are business is a battle, but you need to make sure that you fight that battle in the area where you are strongest. And I think a lot of a lot of people, they get you, you've got your head down on the business. You're looking at all of the different aspects that you're juggling with and some of those key concepts you can miss out from. But if you can get it in place, it can make a really big difference. And that's what it's about, is you know, making that, that change difference. Fully aligned. By the way, there is a nice for our listeners, if you want to see a picture of like a one killer image that you get it straight away, there's a company called Drift, drift.com. What they do is a chatbot. And they actually, on if you just go to the landing page, you scroll down like 10 centimeters, you see the one picture and you will understand like in a second what these guys do. All right, just to have a look at it. What was the name of that company? Drift. Yep. Yeah, I'm going to avoid spelling it because my native English is not that strong. <laughs> no, no, no. No, that's fine. So is it, is it drift.com? Yep. Drift.com. Okay. I'll go and have a look at that one. Um, that will be interesting. Yeah. So and if our, our listeners have, have those images, you can always send them over. I'm always really looking to find these really strong pictures. I would love to see them and just send them over and we will comment them, comment them for sure. I, that's, that's another aspect um, that I've been discussing this week because we're looking actually at putting together some training uh, videos in helping companies with their communication. Because communication obviously is important when you're looking at a, a sales prospect. But communication is also really vital for us when we're looking to sell a business or when we're looking to find investors, when you're looking out to find buyers. Because I, I've seen that process run so many times and I've also met a lot of buyers and I think you've just had information thrown at you. It's, it's a lot that you've got to take on board and I think it's very easy to overload people, even when you're talking about selling something that's going to be sold for millions and millions you know, there is a limit to the amount of information that somebody can take on one time. And I think the more that we can make this visual, the better, because our mind, our mind is very good at taking on, you know, visual images 
and, and, and interpreting those. And it was quite interesting what you're saying about having one slide that tells you all about that business. Yeah. Uh, it's um it's also because one of the things that i am strong advocate and believer in is that you need to whatever you're selling even if it's a service or, or a software you need to make the intangible tangible because yes. it's hard you you look at this thing and you what's going to do that that one slide that one image is going to make it tangible that's what it does and that's why it's so hard because it's you need to make choices and it's going to be simplifying things. And that's why people find it so hard because as you get to the core, to the essence of what do you do now actually, right? And that's a tough one. Yes. And, and, and visually is also the way I remember listening to um, a course by, I think he's an American called Kevin Trudeau. Mm-hmm. Trudeau, I think his name was, and he was a memory expert and he could remember, I don't know, it was six packs of cards and the way that he would, the way that he did it was he used the power of the mind with visual elements. So he would have a street that he knew very well, and he would place the cards in different positions along that street. So as they were thrown at him, and then he would to recall it, he would just walk back down that street. But it was all about visual, make it so very very visual, which is actually the opposite of a lot of PowerPoint presentations you see or any form of presentation, where you end up with a group of people looking at a screen of text and they're just reading it while the person presenting is reading it. How many times have you seen that? Yeah, yeah, it's, but yeah that's, that's a real mess. Yeah. So what do, you, what do you do to sort that out when you've got somebody wanting to do that? Because <laughs> it's so very difficult. I, I see that a lot. I get a, I get a lot of these um, presentations. And then I just killed them. I said, what you do is you're, you feel insecure. You just put all the text you're going to say on the slide. So I want you to get rid of the text. Keep three words. What you're going to do? And I tell you, things, things, things change dramatically. Wow. Also, the other thing that you, you will see wrong is I rarely see the cause and effect in a slide. So they show something, yes. but they expect me to process it. And I'm really, I get really angry on that. I said, no, you are the expert. You will process this for me so tell me that's a problem how do you, you see this uh explain that it, explain that to me what, what do you mean by that so so what are what are they showing imagine, and what are you imagine you're selling a software imagine okay. you're selling a software and what you do is you show this big massive dashboard yep and then you say hi this is our software what we do is dashboarding look, look at all these fantastic analytics and then i'm looking at it and think yep okay that's it nice what if they would have not have done that but they would have just taken out they would have the same image and yes. then they would take out one of the images and they make a circle around and said, you see this one here, because of this one analytics dashboard, this one picture we've, we, we, we show you here, the companies actually increased their OPEX by 8%. Uh, it decreased, I have to be careful, decreased their OPEX by 8% because this is the analysis we have done for them. You see, cause yes. and effect. And people don't do that. I'm right, like, come okay. on, do it. Yes, yes. We can do this for you. Yep. That's that sort of approach. And it's, it's and we've, bam, we've, in your face, no yeah. escape. Nobody can, say, can deny 10% cost reduction in OPEX. I mean, that's what you want, right? Yeah. You're, you're, you're talking about old-fashioned features and benefits in a way. Yeah, but it's always the same thing. Eh? We, we, yeah. we will remain humans with the same problems unless one day the singularity arrives. But that's not for this podcast, Mark. No, definitely not. And actually saying that, I'm just looking at our clock. We've just gone over the 30 minutes. So our time is just about up. So I think we should thank people for listening. Um, we are now out there on, 
iTunes and I think we're going to go out onto a lot of other platforms over the next few weeks. We're even talking about having a LinkedIn group where we're going to put up some articles about how you can download it onto different devices. And also in the future, maybe people can suggest some topics. But as you can tell, I think, well, definitely Michael has. I like the way you came roaring out of that room today, straight into a topic. <laughs> that was good. Yeah, no, yeah. Let's fix it now. Yeah, that was really fire. I've, I've been sorting this out today. Yeah. So I'd like to say this was a, a Bossit podcast, Unlocking the Software Industry, One Conversation at a Time by Michael Humbley and Mark Edwards. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, like, comment, and share. Thank you and goodbye. How's that for an ending? Do you like that? Very good. Thanks, Mark. <laughs> Thank you, Michael. Cheers. Bye-bye. Cheers.